Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of A Day With. Today I have the pleasure to sit down with Stephen King, who runs the institutional business for the Asia Pacific region at Fiera Capital. So Fiera Capital is one of the biggest global asset managers with over 142 billions of assets under management. And I know many of you might not be involved in the financial services industry or not really familiar with asset management, but this simply means that Fiera Capital is one of the biggest investment managers in the world. They manage, put it very simple, the money of big institutional investors, pension funds and insurance companies or the endowments of a university, for instance. So those are called big institutional investors, as well as uh, private wealth money, which means for high net worth families that have uh, family offices or wealth managers or private banks, they invest with Fiera Capital. So Steven, you have uh, a lot of responsibilities covering this market and I'm excited to get to hear how it is and you know what it is about. Welcome. Thanks for joining me Thank today. You. Yep. Really glad that you're here spending some time with me. I know you must be really busy. So <laughs> thanks for taking the time. Before we go into asset management and everything you do, tell me a little bit more about yourself. How you got to Singapore? How long have you been here? Sure. Um, so I, I grew up actually in Hong Kong. So I was born in Hong Kong. Uh, I have a, a twin brother uh, who's also still in Hong Kong and an older sister. Um, I did the typical expat thing of schooling in Hong Kong until I was nine and then shifted off by the parents to boarding school, uh, which I did in the UK. And then from your boarding school, I went straight to university and then actually worked in London for about 10 or 12 years. Um, and similar to my brother and sister, they went into banks. Uh, I think my sister started at Goldman's, brothers at Merrill's. I was at a Japanese bank, actually. Over time, because we grew up in Asia, we all kind of drifted back that way. I think companies mm. felt that it was a place that we could all settle quite easily. And, and so we're all back here. Uh, okay. My brother and sister, both in Hong Kong and myself in Singapore, and the opportunity for me came, I set up an office uh, for a group called the Roiting Group. Mm -hmm. um, There's a famous uh, banking family out of New York. Um, Nick asked me to help set up an office in London. Um, so I did that and then he asked me to move to Asia. And actually when he asked me, the conversation was, uh, we had an office in Hong Kong as well. Could I go to Hong Kong? Mm -hmm. And our trading office was in Singapore. So he looked at me in the eye and said, no, Singapore. Singapore, <laughs> why was that? So, um, I think it was really because uh, our Singapore office was where the trading offices were. We, we didn't have trading. We were more private equity in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, and for, for me, it was, uh, I guess it was something different. So I was quite open to it. And uh, my girlfriend at the time came with me, now wife. <laughs> um, so it was a good move for us. So you've been around um, Europe, Asia. I mean, of course, you're in Singapore. You must love it here. But is there any city that, you know, is your favorite? That's a tough one because I've been lucky enough to travel to many yeah. uh, and spend some time in places. And I think I like a lot of cities often where you've got some friends who you get to see. So I'm a, a kind of big fan of, I love New York, um, mm. I love Bangkok, Hong Kong, uh, and I love Tokyo. So I, I don't have a favorite. I just like going to all of them, to be honest. Well, you're in a good place here in Singapore, able to travel though prior to COVID. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hong, uh, Singapore has been a, a pretty good place to be. Yeah. That's so, cool. so by you know your brother's um, profession, your sister, finance was like kind of in the family. Did, 
funny funny <laughs> enough yes um but it was not not in not for my dad so um it's interesting because we had a, a conversation i remember over christmas one day one of my dad's friends who was a, as a my dad's a flight engineer with Cathay pacific at the time and um his friend who was a captain said to us it's weird that you all bypassed the uh, airline industry and went straight to banking and the the funny question or the answer my sister gave and he asked why we all did and um i think it really came down to <laughs> when you're young you think where can i make some money <laughs> and, our, and our dad had given us a pretty cool lifestyle growing up in hong kong and, mm-hmm. and one of the places or the way to maintain that for us was was banking mm-hmm. and um so we kind of all fell into that into that space um, Or did you ever consider some doing something else? You oh, know, I in did, another... yes. So, <laughs> but completely obvious, I wanted to play golf. <laughs> professional yeah. golfer. I wanted to be a professional golfer. Um, Do you still practice? I still play, not hobby? as good as not as good as I used to, um, with kids and work and everything else. But um, I still get to enjoy it. But golf would have been a a place I would have gone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Do you regret it though? <laughs> is it not well, I never, wait? I never actually. Actually, never actually. The, the regret I have is I never m- had a go at it mm-hmm. um, because everyone sort of, you know, you go from university, you get a degree, you then you get offered a job, and then you get into the job, and and I kind of never really took the the year out to have yeah. a go and, and do it. So yes, is the as I should have maybe had a go, but it's a very different game. You've got to play four days in a row very well, yeah. and it's your career. It's well, like, it's something you can eventually, you know, keep doing as a hobby. So it's not too far, exactly. you know. Like oh, I wanted yeah. to be an astronaut, and you know. <laughs> I still have good games with my dad, and he's 74, so oh, yeah, good. it's a lot of fun. So you know, I feel like, and we were talking about this before. A lot of people get into the finance world with this, that expectations you were mentioning about, you know, I want to make big money. Some other people think it's one thing because there's investment banking, there's asset management, there's corporate finance, everything's so different within, you know, when people say I'm in finance. What were sort of the expectations you had and what's the reality actually? Yeah, I think, you know, as I said, you know, in kind of my age group, uh, you know, everyone who went into finance thinks of Wall Street and Gordon Gecko. That's just not the reality of it. Uh, you know, it takes it uh, takes a long time to learn what you what you're doing in this industry. And finance is so broad, right? You, mm-hmm. you, yes, you have so many different areas. Um, so I think, yeah, the the expectation was always that I could make make some money quite quickly, but it didn't doesn't happen like that for mm-hmm. for maybe. But it may may for young traders um, because they work off of their P and on their book. Yeah. Um, But in other areas of banking and finance, it's, it's a lot of slower burn, I think. I mean, it's a really good job, obviously. I mean, if you do it the right way, you are going to have a great life. But it's just really funny that the people just think that, on you know, the third, fourth year, you're just going to be millionaires. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then we all <laughs> then we all learn about tax and yeah. 40% and 50%. And <laughs> especially if you live in y- Europe. Y- especially if you live in Europe and the US, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's uh, working for free for half a year. Is almost. that why many people are moving to Singapore? Singapore. <laughs> that and the lifestyle is a lovely place, right? Um, and everything works here. It's it's functionally very efficient. Um, the amount of family offices that are coming to Singapore, it's insane. Yeah, I think I think again, it's uh, it's all down to the efficiency and also access to Asia and and China, right? Um, China is going to be a massive part of anyone's portfolio and m- much much larger going forward. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, it would make sense if you're a uh, a wealthy individual or you know running a business and you've got excess capital having a, an office here is uh, 
makes sense. Right. So let's talk about the expectations to about stressful, you know, how stressful you thought your life was going to be. Obviously, you mentioned trading floors. You're not doing that right now. But I mean, to get a good picture of how your lifestyle is, uh, are you, you know, opening uh, every day your emails or looking at stocks and going crazy? Or is it now asset management a little bit more controlled and, and you can breathe i yeah. think no i mean you know obviously i don't have a, i don't run my own book and i'm not a trader so for those guys it's it is very stressful you watch markets go go down and you know you're managing pension fund money etc mm -hmm. so for, for those guys it's really really stressful and, and i think that's when when they do well and they do perform that's when they really deserve to earn their their money so for me i don't i don't have that level of, of stress on a day-to-day -day. Yeah. um but um for us it's very much in, in what i do i'm, I'm i raise ca uh, ca capital for the fund managers to to invest and that normally comes through funds sovereign wealth funds insurance companies yes family offices wealth management and so realistically you're paid on your success mm -hmm. uh, so in order in other words you've got to raise money mm -hmm. um so you really are the architect of, of 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 how well you do so the more you put in the the more you'll get out so you really drive your own stress levels but you know you want to be putting a lot of lines in the water because you can work on something for a year mm -hmm. right and it will it will fall flat at the end um so it can be disappointing at times so you always want lots of lines in the water that might be like the stress, right? Just waiting for or working for something for so long, then yep. not working out, that thing, you know, just falling through. Yes. And then no, how do you get back <laughs> to your feet again and start again? Well, I learned quickly that you just make sure you've got lots of other opportunities going at the same mm -hmm. time, right? So you just park that one, try and figure out what you learned from it. And maybe could you have pulled the cord a little bit earlier on your side and think about the, and this is again, the learning you're thinking about those red flags that come up and maybe go, okay, this isn't going to pan out. Uh, maybe we maybe we should be thinking about cutting the, the effort that we're putting on this one. Just to simplify it, because I know there's a lot of people that might be into the art space or they're, you know, designers and I have a lot of friends that um, there's people that, you know, might be a little bit lost. So I, the way when I got into this, someone explained it to me that he was working at um, asset management. It's like, you know, there's people out there that have a lot of money. <laughs> yep. They have bags of money and it could be people or it could be also, you know, a pension fund. So it's a, a, comp a firm, an institution. And then there's other people on the other side, which is you, yep. that know how to make that, that money grow in different strategies. Yes. So so I'll, I'll use Fiera as an example. So Fiera Capital, um, it's a Canadian firm. I think it's Canada's second largest asset manager. It works very similar to a Canadian pension fund. Um, and what I mean by that, there's a, there's a famous uh, kind of saying, you know, the Canadian pension fund model. And what that means in a sense is um, looking at what you call high active alpha strategies. And I don't want to get technical, but what it means is that you're willing, a, a, a portfolio manager will look at the markets and he'll react and move and change depending on what he sees ahead of him. So it's active management of the money. So you're buying and selling. It doesn't have to be a lot. It can be very, it can be every day or it can be every month, but he's monitoring and moving up and down in terms of what the market looked like. And then marry that with what we call alternatives today. And what I mean by alternatives, it's those things that aren't what most people would consider buying you know, public equities is not an alternative. It's what we consider traditional assets, uh, like bonds as well. So anything that's not equity, equities or equity. fixed income, it's an alternative. Effectively, it's an alternative. So when when we talk about alternatives, say at Fiera, the big ones are real estate, 
private equity infrastructure uh, and you can put in certain parts of uh, a credit in there as well so we do asian private credit and then and then you've got real alternatives you know even further on so wine violin funds <laughs> there's loads out there um wait you guys invest we, we don't in, do that oh, we don't do like, that i wish amazed. we did but no no for, for us we're, we're generally the more on the real asset side so we do infrastructure uh private credit uh real estate and agriculture actually mm-hmm. is another an interesting space that we do do you look into specific markets uh emerging markets is that something that that you feel there's going to be potential for growth or? yeah so i think What's quite interesting is the dynamic between investors in Asia and, 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 and say, the Europe and the US is Asian investors like to invest and diversify away from Asia because it's how they've made their money. They gen- generally have made their wealth in Asia and they continue to do so. So when they invest, they're looking for developed market assets. Mm-hmm. And then often in the US, you've got the Canadian pension funds and the big US pension funds who are happy to, to also look into the emerging markets as a, as a form of diversification mm-hmm. and also Emerging markets are generally where growth is at the moment, so um, there is this kind of crossover, yes. um, which is qu- quite helpful. So your, you know, your clients here are looking to Europe and US, and is any? I'm from South America. Just personally curious, is anyone looking yeah. at South America? So, are they just? They're like, no. <laughs> generally, South America, Latin America has has had a pretty tough, you know, five eight years. Um, and performance has, has, has not not been there, um, to be honest. Sadly. Sadly. Um, and then there's always the, <laughs> Argentina is a, is a big one where, you know, it just never seems to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Latin America right now is has not been um, on, most people agen- on most people's agenda. But as a, you know, as a smart investor and a longer term, you know, I think when you look at Latin America, for me, there's quite a bit to do with timing. Mm-hmm you might want to look at it right now, right? Because it has been flat and has lost a lot of money. Um, so it might be a place to, to start looking at investing. In defense of anyone from Colombia, do you think there's a lot of tech innovation there? So maybe small companies, but yeah, other than, you know, big projects, I'm not too sure, but... Um, I think the sophistication in, in, in that part of the world is much higher than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know we did some work at my old firm and one of my colleagues went down and he just came back and he was so surprised at the the education level and the sophistication of investors right and the, the types of questions they were asking so yes i think it's a it's a it's a great place so how is the day with Steven, especially you are in a client facing role um, you're he- heading the institutional business and, you know, for anyone that thinks about <clears throat> sales roles or, you know, cab racing and all of that, we always think about those movies where you're at big restaurants <laughs> with <laughs> clients all the time. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> could, could sound fun, you know, but it's tiring. I'm sure you've done that a lot also. And, and you were telling me about some, some events. We actually met at an event uh, a year yep. ago when we were able to travel in Australia. But how is it, you know, actually your day to day before COVID and now? After yeah, I was going to say it's, 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 it's quite different now. Um, so prior to COVID, I was, I was traveling just a lot um, because I moved to to Asia f- for, with Fiera to help grow the business here. We were not we're not massively established, so we acquired a, a firm here. We sort of a lot of got of inbound, inbound inquiries. So we bought a group called Clearwater, which actually had established offices. They're about 1.4 billion 
Asian private credit shop, which gave us Asia, Hong Kong, Singapore, Chongqing, Seoul. Mm-hmm. Um, so a big part of that was really to bring out the brand and, and, and introduce people to who Fiero was. And in order to do that, you need to go and meet people and look at the whites of their eyes and tell them why you think yeah. Fiera. Um, so we, so my general first couple of years here was really living on a plane and going to meet with all the sovereign wealth funds in Malaysia, uh, and consultants and pension funds in Japan, uh, wealth managers and private banks in Hong Kong and Singapore, banks in Thailand, etc. So, and, and obviously then the consultants and, and a lot of the super funds down in Australia. And, and then obviously Taiwan, there's just lots of places to go. Did you enjoy that? Because I remember when I was very, this is me as a kid, I would say my dream job is to just to travel around the world, you know, because you're talking about this, all this visiting all the places, Japan, Australia, it just sounds a lot of fun. But tell me more about the jet lag. Yeah, no, so, uh, you know, when you're when you're traveling for work, it is, uh, you know, you are being monitored and there's costs involved and, you you know, you do have to have lots of meeting notes and they have to have had the meetings and, and generally you're on a time frame, right? So, you know, you are going to these lovely places, but you are literally arriving. You may get into the gym to get over the jet lag and then you're going straight to meetings and you'll go to lunch and you'll go straight to another less set of meetings. And you're generally not finished until quite late. Um, and then if you have a dinner, you'll do that too. And then you'll get up the next morning and then you'll be flying to the next country and you're doing exactly the same thing. So there, there, there isn't often down days unless you do a long trip where you get the, the weekend and you can relax, yeah. right? And you tend to, to manage that so that you're in Sydney or Melbourne or somewhere like that. Right. But then you get back to the hotel after a day of meetings and then you start to do your work from the whole day being out. So. Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of people don't realize, you know, it's not always that you're, you're not always at a place where you know people. So... You know, there are times you'll you literally come home and you'll order your dinner and you'll sit in your room. Right? Yeah. You can go out, but you might be just too tired. It's not as always as glamorous as, as people think. Um, but but I wouldn't say you know there are as I say you can plan it. So you know make sure that you're in. You can try and get a bit of time if you're in Sydney or places where you've got friends. Yeah. No. And and you know if you can balance it, I obviously think it's a, a question of practice. Yeah. Uh, when I started flying to Europe with with my job, I maybe didn't really know, and I was like, I want to know all these places, so I would take the worst flights. But then, if you start recurring, go you know going to the same places, you start getting to know which flights you like, <laughs> getting your way around. That's very true. Um, so you do know, you know, even when you travel so much, you know which seat you want to be in, which flight time you want to take, you know, which which airports you're happy to take a just take the random taxi or the ones that you go, you have to have a car or I'll be standing there for an hour. Yeah. Um, so yes, you do You do get wiser. Right. And so either on those trips or, or here in the city, I'm sure it has changed now with COVID. Um, now your day-to-day, is it client-facing or are you on Zoom calls like all of us? No, I think it's, uh, it's the same as everyone else. You know, I bet you, like me, on your phone, you've got Zoom, WebEx, um, WhatsApp, yeah. Not just all of them, Microsoft, um, Teams, yeah. Teams, yes. On, on. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're and Blue Jeans, I think, is another one. And so, yeah, it's 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 now moved to a lot of phone calls. And, and I'm finding that when we first started getting into this, I was I was tending to feel comfortable just to send emails because I'd probably have seen a lot of people. But now I think it's actually at this stage you, you, we need to be doing phone calls to to talk to people. And what I've also noticed is when we first started doing this. Yeah. No one would turn their cameras on. Now, 
I think after a year of doing it, people are more than happy and feel comfortable having their camera on. I would now, you know, I, I've done so many Zoom calls and I'm in a sales role that I cannot picture myself doing a sales pitch with on the phone. Yeah. You know, now to me, it's normal to be on camera all the time. Yeah. I ask myself, how did we do it before when it was just on the phone? And it, it feels so weird to me now. It does. You know? <laughs> it does. Um, and so do you recall any meeting that has been, you know, the worst meeting that you have had? Uh, I have had a one bad meeting, but it was a long, long time ago. Um, so I'll tell you about that one. And then there's obviously the the ones this year where, and I'm sure it's happened to to many people. You know, I've got two girls who are three and four years old, and you know when they run across the screen and they're naked and they're shouting, and you're <laughs> like looking at your wife in horror, saying, "Please take them out." Um, <laughs> So I, you know, that's happened. You know, like the BBC guy, I think. Uh, yeah, what a legend! I loved it. I think it was brilliant. So I, at the beginning of this COVID pandemic, I think many of us were the BBC guy trying yeah. to manage. Exactly. So going, yeah. So my my uh, tough tough uh, tough meeting it was actually when I was more junior. I was working at a fund of hedge funds called Financial Risk Management, and um, it was I just won a big uh, consultant mandate, and we started winning a lot of business through consultants who allocate on behalf of or advise pension funds. And um, we'd won some some good mandates, and one was up in uh, the north of England for a big pension fund. I remember when I got into into finance, and and it was pension fund money. My dad is not in finance, but he was very clear with me that when you know it's an important role for someone when you managing people's pension money it's like losing as he said to me it's like losing my my money and i'm retired and i said i, I get it and i remember that when we the financial crisis started happening i felt like i should phone the people that we'd just taken money from and we'd actually lost quite a lot of money over three months mm-hmm. and um I, I i kind of offered to to go up and talk to them and uh to, to my shock they said yes and so I was like okay and I knew I, I at that age you I just wasn't prepared I was yeah. not I wasn't getting expecting the yes and I wasn't prepared to and I didn't have the skill set to ha- answer all the questions so I roped in my boss who then also probably felt at the same time he didn't want to have all that on his shoulders at the same time so then we pulled in a portfolio manager as well and then we all traced up to the north of England and we sat down and the boardroom was full Right, with all the the trustees in the in the room, and we sat there for probably about fifteen or twenty minutes, uh, getting a bollocking. Right, mm-hmm. um, it was how could you possibly lose this sort of amount of money in such a short time? And and I, I think it was it was very hard for everybody because uh, the financial crisis just you know yeah, just for every, for every asset yeah. class right dropped, and. Um, and so we, we we sat there and took it, and then we explained the 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 situation. And and the, I think the nice thing was is the, the 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 head trustee just turned around and said, you know, it's really good that you offered to come up here and you've taken your licking. Um, and we appreciate the fact that you're pretty much the only manager that has actually offered to come up and done it. So we are long-term investors, but please don't lose us any more money. Right. Um, <laughs> this is not your way to uh, yeah continue. But yeah. honest, I was just going to say that how nice of you because it's not a, a common practice in the industry to you know care that much. You know, at the end, if I'm giving you my money for you to invest, I'm also signing a contract that I could lose all my money. Well, I, I think my, it was it was very much instilled from that conversation I had with my dad. It's pension fund money. Right? It's not ours. It's people who have actually worked. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, mostly not in finance, right? So they don't get it. 
um, often about what we're doing. So it's a, an important job to get right. And, and actually it's one of the things that attracts me to Fiera. Um, when you look at a lot of the investment um, professionals, especially the leaders in infrastructure and agriculture, so they have all come from Canadian pension funds. So they have that fiduciary mindset that it's not their money, it's their client money. And I think they do manage it that way. All right, and more in, you know, the normal type of meetings and, uh, you know, your day-to-day. Has there been like any weird requests? You know, what or what could be a question that you always like in your head? Oh no, again this. <laughs> no, I, I have to be honest with you. I think the uh, the clients that we have are pretty sophisticated. So the, the questions are all pretty reasonable and you know, a lot of them are standard and there are some good ones. Um, I guess it's the ones that really get down into the, you know, want to understand the portfolio manager, not just from his investment perspective, but also personally, you sometimes get guys and I think it's quite nice, you know, they ask more about his family and children. And um, so they're the sort of questions when you kind of get get off track a little bit. Right. Uh, but right. They, those tend to be the nicer meetings where they're looking at the whole story rather than just the investment bit. So. Do you get to like, because the world's so small at the end, there's just a handful of this big institutional. Because, um, again, to explain to people out there, there's like two pies of the of, of in the world of money so the family offices are more of like private wealth that you know there's so many out there family offices but you are in that other side where it's institutional right yeah so I, I would break it down into two you can do, do it sort of in two ways so you can call it one is the institutional space on one side um, and then on the other side you can call it let's say intermediary mm-hmm. um, and what I mean by intermediary is maybe you have the private banks or the wealth managers and I'd also bucket in there the family offices and high net worth individuals and the wholesale mm-hmm. type of business. So they're the two the two divides effectively, or the different right. types of money. So in terms of volume, obviously in the intermediaries or the private money, there could you know there's a lot more versus in your institutional world. At the end, there's there's a limited amount of pensions or or big institutions so the the institutions obviously write bigger tickets so mm-hmm. you can get tickets you know when i talk about tickets how much money they're gonna they're gonna allocate to you you can start from five to a billion dollars or more right you know they can write up to you know even three billion dollar t- tickets and when an institution does due diligence on you they're not going to do it for five million dollars generally because it takes a lot of time and effort and legal fees and everything else. so they want to write a decent sized ticket yeah on the on the wealth management and the institutional side, yes, they they can go from fifty thousand maybe to you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty million dollars. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is obviously the family wealth, especially family offices, is growing, right? Um, and middle class wealth is growing, especially in Asia. So I think HSBC is a, an, an example of this. So HSBC had created a new. Um, a new division within their breakdown of client base. So they've got this thing called Jade Banking now. And um, that's, I think it's, I can't, don't quote me on this, but I think it's like $5 million of net worth or something or investable mm-hmm. assets. So that side of the, the the business is also growing significantly. So, so is this in between the the normal retail and the high net worth? Is yeah. that on in between? Yeah, oh, sort of an, an in-between number. Um, and, and I think that's happening everywhere, right? In, especially in Latin America, middle wealth is coming through. Asia, it's coming mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. So that part of the 
the the pie as you call it is is growing and it will continue to grow mm-hmm. great all right so great to know you know as a background what you do i think this has also answered a lot of questions and people like you know they're what's asset management well this is ed and and you dedicate almost every day to try to manage that money for well, those investors I, I don't manage it yeah that's the pms do. I, I go and i go and try and get the, uh, the get the money to raise it so i have a little slightly easier job than than the managing it and making it so. well that's what you say but then go and find the money well that's true it, is, it has become much harder uh, to yeah. raise money cash is king so people have a better choice now and and you know something I've found because I speak to you know people in your role so much before you only needed to have a context so you needed to know who is who and like you know as a client relationships person just bring them in but now they're asking questions to you know you need to be a lot more involved in the strategies so I think that's also some yeah I think your knowledge base has to be a lot a lot better in sales and it has historically mm-hmm. um, at least to hold that first one or two meetings. Um, and you know, a lot of salespeople may only sell one asset class, um, and then they almost become a, a specialist for that asset class. Mm. And then you have other salespeople, more like me, who are generally generalists across different asset yeah. classes as well. But you do have to keep up to date with with what what's going on there. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> All right. So moving on, I love to get into the segment of um, the episode when we get to hear a story. I was speaking to you catching up before we started the episode. I feel like you're that type of guy that would have like a hundred stories if you were at dinner. <laughs> it's just so fun. The ones um, I could tell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish we could record, you know, the ones that said this couldn't go on record. But um, do you recall one, you know, an entertaining one or any, you know, that comes to mind that we can share to people? I think I think the one, the, I can't, obviously the one we spoke about earlier, not. Um, <laughs> But I think the one for um, for me probably that happens most often is, as I mentioned, I have a twin brother. That's kind of got me into trouble in Hong Kong in um, and in London. He, he's in a similar industry in, uh, with HSBC. And so when I, f- I think I've... Sorry, is that as HSBC Asset Management or the private bank? Uh, no, he's on, the, I think he's the bank, bank on the bank okay. side. So when we first started working in London, for example, I worked for a hedge fund. I'd worked really late, so they gave me a ticket to a Chelsea football game. And I, and I was really late, so I was running down the road and I fell over and snapped my ankle and ended up not going. Aww. But the next morning, I couldn't go into work and told and told them. And uh, the day after that, they had hired the Millennium Dome at the time that had just been been launched. It was a pretty pretty cool thing to have exclusively. And um, I gave my brother the, the ticket with his girlfriend and my my boss at the time saw him running across, <laughs> across the dome and sort of said, you know, pulled him up and said, you said you were, you couldn't walk. Um, and my brother was like, you know, my name's Matthew King. And uh, he didn't believe my brother. <laughs> so my brother had to get his uh, ID out to prove, or his bank oh, card. Oh, wait, wait, you're, you're boss at that time. Like, yeah. Oh, of course you're Steven. Show yes. me your... Yeah, don't, don't, don't give me this, you know, <laughs> um, you've got a twin brother. And then when I got <laughs> into work... Typical thing, you know, it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> so... So when I got into work the next day, I could see he was really sheepish and uh, and sort of you know. Said Wait, but sorry. did your brother actually give the ID? Oh, he showed him his bank uh, card. Yeah, uh-huh, to, because uh-huh. we don't have IDs, and like we do here in Singapore, but yeah. Hong Kong, he proved he had a, <laughs> a bank card that he was Matthew King. Yeah. And then uh, literally a couple months later, again, I was out in a pub with my sister, and a guy sort of bashed past me, and it was almost like purposely knocked my drink. And I sort of said to him, you know, it's not not cool. And, and, and I kind of left it. But then I said, I said to my sister afterwards, um, 
do you know him? And she said, no. And I, and I thought, okay, we'll just leave it. 20 minutes later, my brother comes in and goes, oh, Steve, you've got to come meet my boss. And I'm like, oh, no. And it was it was him thinking it was my brother, you know, who gave him a little Gosh. jab. So it took, a, it took a bit of time uh, yeah. for him to try to figure it all out. I'm uh, sure again, you guys have fun. Um, you know, you had fun when you were little trying to, you know, the typical thing in class when, you know, you get some benefits if you switch names or things like that. Yeah, we, 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 we did all that. I haven't quite done it for work. I'm not sure it would go down too well. Um, <laughs> Do you run into each other like in the industry or just maybe at events is that no we are slightly in different different mm. places within the finance so not not really um but i you know obviously catch up with them a lot in hong kong and i was i was here in singapore having a drink with a friend and the next day he went up to hong kong and um he saw someone who looked like me at the at the bar at the the captain's bar at the mandarin oriental and he literally picked him up <laughs> picked my brother up in mid-conversation and walked him across the other <laughs> end of the bar, and then then he realised it wasn't wasn't me. Um, that's uh, fun. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, thanks for sharing that. So I've got some quick questions for you. Okay. First thing that comes into your mind. So if you had one extra hour a day, what would you do with it? Probably waste it. Um, <laughs> no. So did not expect that. Come on. Yeah. Uh, if I had one extra hour a day, I would. They're not quite old enough yet, but I get my my. I'd start teaching my kids to play golf. Oh, so I've started a little bit, but I, I don't have enough time in the evenings. I don't get back early enough. Mm -hmm. So yeah, golf, golf for my girls. Okay. So they can join me on the golf course when I'm older. <laughs> nice. So you're mentioning you're a dad. Obviously yep. now it's nice. Well, you're saying how it's challenging also with work, but it's nice that you're at home a lot. I'm sure that wasn't the case few years ago. How did you manage that, you know, being a dad and at the same time and doing the job you do? Having a very forgiving wife is oh. one um, <laughs> and a helper, which <laughs> we get the benefit of in in, in Singapore. Singapore, yes, um, love that. So that was a, a big pro of living here. Um, but I think for me, I haven't had that massive challenge yet because they were, they were babies um, and, and, and now they've really come into being three and four years old, which is where you do need to, to, to spend time with them and, and do more with them. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, what I've enjoyed the most this year is actually being able to do that, and I have done it, right? Uh, I think, you know, anyone who gets that opportunity, <clears throat> I'm still doing it, right? Um, you don't, you're saving an hour each way traveling in most cases. Even if you've got to travel, you're quite close 15, 20 minutes, it's still a, enough time to spend more time at home. So yeah. You were telling me something so funny because I feel like if I ever married like a, a fund manager or someone that's into like the trading floors, I would be like your wife. Because you were telling me she never gives the exact same definition of what you do when people ask. Yeah, she doesn't have a clue what I do. <laughs> and she doesn't care and doesn't want to know. And the moment, I think she has to know that I work doing what I do and then she doesn't want to have the conversation when I get home. Right? So it's a switch off. I love that. So. You said she once said you were an accountant. Yeah, we kind of an accountant kind of thing. I think that's really where she went with it. The um, good thing with you is that, you know, after a full day of just talking about numbers or, you know, strat whatever, and then you get home, you don't want someone that talks about that again and again. No. So no, that is that is nice. But um so yeah, I, I think that works quite well for our dynamic. I don't know how I would be if I'd married someone who did a similar job to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's one thing that frustrates you? It, it could be like at work or just like in general, you know, in life. 
So I, I, you know, we, you gave me that question earlier, which was very kind to think about. And between coming here in the taxi, I started reading on my phone. And actually, I, I did find something that frustrates me, and it's actually in the in the news today. Um, so when I when I was reading the uh, the article, it's actually uh, Bernie Sanders actually having a go at um, Jeff Bezos right now. Uh-huh. And so I, I would say the thing that frustrates me the most right now, when I when I think about it, is actually wealth inequality. Right, and and then in the distribution of wealth, when you look at a company that's or an individual that's worth 184 billion, and and then you look at the 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 minimum wages that are being paid across the board, it's just not necessary, and that re- I don't like that at all. I, I don't understand why there isn't some form of if it's not going to be a tax, then why isn't there a a, a a a sort of a profit share at the end of the year for those people that are working on minimum wage? Um, I when I read things like that, it really bothers me. I just can't even imagine in my head that amount of money. It's just like no what do one, you do? No one needs 184 billion dollars. Like, what mm-hmm. do you do with that money? Okay, yeah. you know, it's just like it, there's know. a point where, you know, yeah, everyone wants to have a well life, be rich, be a billionaire. But yeah. when, good, at that point, yeah, good for him. He's 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 done something that no one else has done, and he's earned it. But 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 at the detriment of others when you're paying them a minimum wage and you're worth 184 billion. I it, it, to me that's just not humane in any way it doesn't make sense so and, and that bothered me when i was yeah. driving here when i was reading it like so just that, was that the thing inequality that, yeah I, I, it I, does amazon have a foundation he does i think he sent one up recently uh mm-hmm. started with three billion i think maybe i might be wrong it might be more but three billion is not a lot of money for yeah. him so again um, that's um, all right so that's a, i mean that's a really meaningful one is there anything uh, that frustrates you like in life you could be just and you're, I'm gonna tell you mine because okay. I don't, I don't do that question for everyone. So yep. it's just you know when I when I, I wrote it for you, I was like thinking about this in the morning. You know what frustrates me so much when you're going to have a cup of tea. People sometimes do that and they don't wait for the uh, water to boil, and Ooh, it's just hot okay. water. To me, <laughs> that felt like maybe this is like a psycho thought, but. I just need to wait and see that the bo- the water is boiling and then before you it, pour it and then I pour it and let it let it you know um, get cold and I obviously wouldn't drink it right away but if it doesn't get to boil I just feel like something is wrong with my tea. <laughs> okay, I, 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 I'm with you, but more on coffee. coffee so you've got oh. me actually. You have got me. So living at home uh, for the last year, I've always had coffee at home and I've got a nice coffee machine because I like my coffee and I, and I think about the beans. Uh-huh. And when I went into the office, started going back into the office this year, um, we didn't have a good coffee machine, right? And and it really upset me. And, and so I had it changed. <laughs> and so now I've got the same coffee machine I have at home and we're buying fresh beans rather than the capsules. Amazing. Mandatory um, requirement for it, fair it, capital. It was a, coffee. let's, let's get... Let's get people back into the office and have a good cup of coffee. So we, we did that, and that was that was killing me for about two weeks. Amazing, I love um, it. So that was that. I'm with you on the. Thank you for that, not so. making me feel like a weirdo. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right, another one for you. Um, what's your own definition of success? Well, I guess I, I guess it depends how you define. I guess yeah. How do you define success? So for me, it's going to be. Now that I have a family, I guess it's just making sure my girls and my wife and have the same life that my dad gave me, which I think was very nice, right? So if I can do that, educate them and they stay healthy and, and just know that they're, they've they had as good opportunities as I have, I think I've done right by them. Um, 
And then, so that's kind of priority one. Uh, and then priority two would be for me to be able to retire early enough that I can actually go and play golf at the golf courses that I want to go and ski the ski resorts that I want to do, but not when I'm 65. Okay. Right? So I'd, I'd like to be able to um, be in the position to enjoy it while I'm young. Okay. Uh, not, certainly not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Work a lot, but then definitely retire young. Yeah, I, I, I remember my dad when he retired, he always thought he was retiring too young. But um, I think he was 58. Wait, he saw that as a problem. Yeah, because he wasn't sure if he had enough money to retire and then mm. he would probably get bored. And what, is, what, are, you, what are you going to do? Because, I mean, like if you take, you know, if you take sort of when you have gardening leave, you have kind of three months off. I don't know how I mean, I'm kind of almost re really ready to go back to work after three months. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, in retirement, you're done. And obviously you can find pet projects my dad always liked build you know properties and stuff like this but he um you know and you want to keep your mind active um and that's how you keep going mm -hmm. so if you retire too young without hobbies um and and, and things to keep you going you, you probably mm. go downhill quite quickly for sure and you know i think there's a big opportunity there between like that age of 58 or 60 and then because you know how old is the president of the United States right now? It's 74. 74? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure people out there, they don't want to be president, but until you're 85 or something, you still can actively work at something, you know, not just as a, well, it could be a hobby, but not just as a, you know, my mom had the same problem for so long. She had no real hobbies and she was a doctor. And what do you do after yeah. working for full days all your life? That's all she knew. Yeah. To now look at, <laughs> be at home, just look at uh, at the window. It's yeah, so I, I, I have hobbies that I enjoy that I'd love to do more. We, as I say, I mentioned golf. It takes a long time, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to travel to places to, to play different courses and try skiing in different places it takes time yeah so that, that would be i'd be happy if i can do that while i'm young well i'm sure you're on your way so <laughs> <laughs> not with the school fees <laughs> still got a good 15 years of that <laughs> and then uh, they grab and they're there you know it's <laughs> it's harder when they're teenagers so <laughs> yeah okay and so not in a sad way but you know if if would say tomorrow the day was ending you have the you know the typical question of 24 hours left how would that look for you what oh, would you I do i would be hanging out with my little girls my wife my my family brothers sisters just uh, and all the all the children and uh probably in a swimming pool somewhere on a beach um i was gonna ask like if if like time zones and time you know just could you could travel over time just like this. Would you go anywhere specific with them? Um, I have to say, yeah, I would say I had the most amazing holiday uh, pre-COVID in Phuket with, with all of us. We all went. My sister went. Uh, my brother went with all his children, my sister's little boy, my kids. Uh, we had a great time. The only people really missing were our, our parents who, mm -hmm. who couldn't quite make it. So, yeah, yeah. do I'd do that. Um, plus your parents plus the parents <laughs> and and maybe one 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 holiday skiing see yeah. how they do well i'm not sure if you know we've covered all do you want to share anything else for anyone out there you know that's considering getting into asset management you know what could be like <laughs> if they were talking to you what let's let's pretend this is not recorded <laughs> yeah no so it's funny you asked that question so i remember having a conversation with one of my my bosses and his his children were thinking about what to do 
for their careers, right? They were, were trying to figure out what universities to go to and what, what to study. And I, when I was racking my brain of the, the thought of, you know, I said to him, finance, I'm not sure it, it is what it used to be in terms of the numbers and it, it is different. There's a lot of regulations and exams and it's not what it what, what it was in, in sort of what I saw in Wall Street. Um, and then there's the then there's the fintech business, which is exciting and people can make it very, very quickly at a young age, but it's very few and far between. Right. Mm. Um, but it's a fun, fun industry. And then, then, then it finally came to me that actually, law, right? Because then I thought law is probably the safest place because lawyers get paid if you get married, they get paid if you get divorced, they get paid, <laughs> they still get paid if you you acquire a business, they get they get paid if you liquidate a business, so they're always getting paid. So, so I said to him, go for law. I think that's the that's the safest place. Is that what right. you recommend? No, there's so many lawyers that are into fine, like then go into uh, the finance world. And the only thing about um, being a lawyer is that depends where you leave, right? And then if you want to move around, then you need yeah, to learn again. Yeah, because I mean, specific mm. law to the US and then specific law in the UK. And yeah, no, you, you do have to probably pick a region and become a professional at that but, that, but you so. wouldn't advise going into finance <laughs> wait that cfa exam all of the studies it's just it. that that's actually what people don't realize in, in in when you when you leave university if you think going into finance and you've done your degree and you're done you, you're not the, yeah. the amount of regulation and exams that are required afterwards i think cfa and CAIA and all those are pretty much a, a requirement now in terms of if you want to be an analyst. Um, it's a lot of work and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a very rewarding thing to do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but you need to well love respected. to study. You, and the, you're, it's almost like a doctor that they never stop studying. Well, it shows that you're passionate if you do that about, about the finance industry because it's a lot of work um, and, and you, you've got to want to do, learn about it. Um, so I think you know, there is a lot more to do straight after uni um, in terms of exams, so my, my my suggestion would be the straight out of uni while you're in that mindset, that learning mindset, just get on with it yeah. if that's what you want to do. Because <laughs> after that, it's <laughs> after impossible. that you don't want to do it again. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, yeah. no, exactly. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. This was really fun. Yep. Um, I think that's all for today's episode of a day with. And Stephen, really amazing to chat with you. Thanks yep, for thank sitting you. today with me. Uh, it, was, it was nice to get to know you a little bit more outside of, you know, the finance. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you know, conferences and all of that. Hope to have you here again soon. And, you know, thanks everyone for listening. Remember to share your thoughts and comments on our Instagram at daywith.podcast. And please subscribe to get all of our episodes. You can hear them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. All right, that's all for today. See you next week.